This week, we heard the news that two young people, one 19 years old, the other just 14 years old, had been killed by acts of gun violence. And both these young men were known to police. At such a young age, what would make someone growing up here, where there's so much opportunity, want to get involved in a criminal lifestyle? And furthermore, the important question here is how can it be prevented? Joining us now is Jordan Buna, a substance use liaison with the Surrey School District, and he's also a former gang member. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Nikki. Thank you uh, very much for having me. I can't wait to hear your perspective on this. Can you first start by sharing your story, how you got involved in that criminal lifestyle, and then ultimately how you got out? Yeah, so for me, um, it basically started for me within high school. Uh, I didn't have a lot of criminal experience within high school, uh, but I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder at a younger age, started to struggle with uh, behavior issues, uh, and then after school didn't find a lot of success Uh, within the employment market, eventually did end up landing a job working in a restaurant. Uh, I wasn't making a lot of money. uh, And it was through this work in this restaurant, which uh, unfortunately for me was heavily frequented by guys involved in gangs, heavily frequented by guys involved in the drug trade, that I did become uh, involved with those people myself. Uh, I was actually recruited by uh, patrons of of this restaurant. And I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And I would see these guys come in. And from where I would stand while I was cooking in the kitchen... I had a really good view of the lounge area and the bar area, and I would watch this certain type of person come in, and it was these guys, and they had a few things in common. They all had kind of sleeve tattoos. They all had this, the gold chains, the way they walked around. Uh, it looked like people were afraid of them. It looked like people were intimidated by them. And through, through uh, busting cables in that restaurant, I kind of got to know these guys, and these guys got to know me, and they started to see an easy target uh, within me, and they basically recruited me into the drug trade, and... My recruitment process started out really slow. It started out just kind of doing odd jobs for them, picking stuff up, dropping stuff off, uh, and it slowly progressed. Uh, I got heavily involved in the street drug trade um, and then ended up actually serving time in prison, was convicted of drug offenses as well as firearms offenses. Uh, Getting out of prison was very, very difficult for me. Prison was a very difficult experience. Uh, It really helped me kind of realize that this wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted for myself anymore. Uh, and I really began the slow process of, of trying to change my life. And I was very lucky that throughout this process, I met some people along the way that were able to help me. Uh, I reconnected with my family, who wasn't supportive of my choices while I was involved in gangs and the drug trade, but had always you know, had the attitude, uh, we don't like what you're doing, but we love you. And so we'll support you when you want to change. Uh, and also I found some support in an unlikely place as well, actually, uh, When I went back to university, because I decided that, you know, I wanted to further my education post being released from prison, I actually met uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Sergeant Kieran McConnell, who in my previous life was a gang enforcement officer. And him and I dealt with each other pretty regularly with him arresting me. I go back to school. He's a university professor. And he becomes a really big source of support for me and a mentor in my career as well. And it was actually really, really cool because two years ago when I graduated with my uh, bachelor's degree in criminology, he was the person who handed me that degree on the stage. And, and you know, I've been working now, we're currently working towards my uh, master's in counseling psychology, and my life is, is so much better than it was previously. Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I love that story of personal evolution. I'm so, I'm so thrilled for you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know what? It really hasn't been an easy journey. 
And to be really honest, honest with you, Nikki, I don't know if I'd have it in me to do it again, but it was really important to me to be that person for somebody else, which is what drives the work that I currently do. Um, you know, being that person to support someone else who's going through hard times, uh, especially young people, because young people, you know, as we see with the news recently, are the most vulnerable to this lifestyle because a lot of them uh, aren't making good choices, right? They're, they're saddled with the brain of a youth who, who doesn't make the best choices. And so they're very, very at risk to this uh, lifestyle, as well as the older people who are going to recruit them into this lifestyle. Well, and you said something really interesting when you were telling your story. You said that they started you off slowly, and that should be a big warning for any youth out there who may be listening to this interview right now, because I imagine at the time you had a false sense of control. You thought, ah, I'm only in this as much as I want to be, but they already knew that they had you in way deeper than that. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up. Because that is the number one thing that I think young people don't realize is it does start out slow. And it doesn't seem like a big deal as you're getting into it. It seems like it's a, it's a potential source of some extra cash. You kind of get a bit of an ego boost by hanging out with older people, people that seem to kind of command that respect. But realistically, what I started to kind of realize is, you know, these people that act like they respect you, but realistically, it's just fear, right? They don't want you around. They don't actually respect you. They all are just going to be nice to your face until you go away. So I started to see a lot of that. And I started to see a lot of, uh, you know, the ugliness started to come after and and these guys stopped being nice to me. They stopped kind of, uh, you know, giving me a lot of money and things like that. So what kind of resources are currently available? Because I know that you, you work more in this field now. So what resources are currently available to help deter youth from going down that road? Well, there are a number of resources available in our province. Um, we're actually very lucky. Uh, we have the GRIP program, which is uh, a joint project between the Ministry of Education and the Minister of Justice, uh, which is uh, put on by Safer Schools Together. And basically that program sees myself uh, and some other colleagues as well go around the province to communities that have been identified as uh, youth being at risk for gang involvement, educating the youth on the reality of choices. Uh, one of the things that I'm really passionate about and I think uh, people connect with really well is storytelling. Uh, a lot of times young people kind of will not be into facts and figures, but they can understand and empathize with a story. So it's been for me sharing my story through the GRIP program, through the End Gang Life program. Um, and there's, there's a lot of resources that, that parents can go to if they're struggling, but those would be the two that I would really recommend. What do you think is happening then with youth who are continuing to fall through the cracks? I mean, we just heard the story about a 14-year-old who was killed the other day, a 19-year-old who was killed 24 hours before that. How are there still youth falling through the cracks when we do have good programs in this province? You know, that's, it's, really, it's really difficult when it comes to talking about young people falling through the cracks. And my, and my heart absolutely breaks for those families. I know what it's like to lose close friends to gun violence, and it's a pain that is, is almost indescribable. Um, realistically, what we have to realize is young people in this province are well-supported, but the problem is is there are so many youth, and there are still some that are going to not engage with the supports. There are still some that are going to have very complicated circumstances, uh, like you know, family issues, things like that, that need to be addressed in a very targeted and specific one-on-one basis. So we need more support in things like mental health. We need more support in things like Ministry of Children and Family Development to look at supporting these families so that they can, uh, you know, create and, and make healthy kids.
If you had one word of advice, before I let you go, if you had one word of advice for parents who are listening to this interview right now, who want to have a conversation with their kids tonight before the kids go back to school in January, what would you say to parents who are worried about their kids getting into the wrong crowd and getting down a path or following down a path that is harmful to them? I would say to parents that it's really not necessarily one single conversation that's going to solve the problems of your kid's life. It's about being connected with your kids. It's about knowing who your kid's friends are. It's about knowing the types of media that your kids are taking in. It's about knowing their activities online. And it's about having that relationship with them because kids who feel like they have connection uh, don't tend to go looking for it in unhealthy places. Kids who feel like they they don't have, uh, sorry, kids who have healthy role models don't go looking for unhealthy ones. So it's really about supporting your kids on a day-to-day basis and, and the community lifting up youth and supporting them as well. Jordan, thank you so much and Happy New Year. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great New Year. Thank you. Uh, as for the 8 p.m. curfew cutoff, whatever you want to call it, for liquor stores, bars, restaurants, no, I don't agree with it. I could see a week out, yeah, one week's warning, but uh, under 24 hours, no. You too can share your thoughts on the Buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. Many liquor store and restaurant owners are also not happy about the announcement that liquor sales must stop at 8 p.m. tonight. That's an hour before the ball drops on the East Coast in New York City. So if you had plans to go for a nice dinner with your spouse tonight, clink a glass of champagne for those East Coast celebrations... You're going to be out of luck, or at the very least, your glass of champagne is going to be very, very warm if you've had to order it at 8 p.m. To find out how this will impact her business, let's connect now with Danielle Eden. She's the owner of Kootenai Soul Food in Cranbrook. Danielle, when you first heard this news, what was your reaction? Honestly, when I heard the news at first, um, I was really disappointed, uh, primarily with the lack of notice. I I felt like the government, (laughs) it's no surprise, I'm sure your listeners know, New Year's Eve happens on the same day every year. (laughs) Um, They knew it was coming. They've had lots of time to plan. And I felt it was extremely underhanded to do it last minute. If they had given you more notice, if, say, they made this announcement on Monday, how could that have prepared you better for this evening? Yeah, so even, you know, the amount of time, um, even a few days uh, can be a challenge because all of our orders have to be in place, usually, you know, a little bit sooner than that. Um, But the amount of time at least would have taken a bit of pressure. We could reorganize things properly. Um, You know, preferably it would have been nice to know before Christmas, especially when before we start um, advertising, we could have done different time slots. Um, We People could have, especially for our guests, Like, they've paid for an experience, and, you know, we have to change that on them. So at least having more notice, they could decide which experience they want. And if we had people who don't drink, you know, they could easily say, oh, we'll take the 8 o'clock because we don't drink. Or we could have done 5 and 7 instead of 5.30 and 8. Um, What it's really done to us is simply put pressure for us to start earlier because, Let's face it, restaurateurs right now are simply trying to keep the wolf from the door. We are just trying to pay our bills. And so we've simply moved our seating back to 745 so that they can pre-purchase their alcohol for the, for the evening up until the 9 o'clock service cutoff. And, but by doing that, we've lost 15 minutes of sanitization time in between seating. Okay, so that's an interesting point to emphasize. It's an 8 o'clock sales cutoff. 
Yeah, so, well, it, it's an 8 o'clock sale cutoff. It's a 9 o'clock consumption cutoff. And so I hope restaura- restaurants realize this, um, that their customers seem to continue to purchase until 8 o'clock. Service and consumption doesn't end until 9. Okay, so order your last drinks then before 8 o'clock, and you will still be able to toast a glass of champagne, albeit a very warm glass of champagne, when you watch the ball drop on TV from New York at 9 o'clock. You betcha. Buy your last bottle of champagne, buy your last bottles of wine, bring it all to the table at uh, 7.59, and you've got your drinks until 9 o'clock. Can you explain more as well why 8 o'clock is a really inconvenient time for restaurants who have set a menu and an experience and a service schedule for a special event like tonight? For our restaurant in particular, we, we've worked really hard to create a multi-course event um, that you know all safety protocols are in place. Our diners stay in their seats the entire time. And our seatings were 5.30 and 8 o'clock. So, you know, we do have a crowd who want to come out a little bit later. They want time to get home from work. And so for us to have to call every single one of our diners and let them know that there is an 8 o'clock restriction um, is is disappointing. And quite frankly, it really interferes with our ability to, to generate revenue for this dinner. So are you worried at all that people will hear this news and they'll say, ah, forget it. If I can't buy alcohol after eight o'clock tonight, I'll just stay home instead and cancel their reservation. So we were, we're really lucky for a couple of reasons. We pre-sold our tickets online. So people have already paid for their dinner. We've gotten them really excited. We've kind of been leaving them breadcrumbs about the experience that they're getting. So we called each and every one of our 8 o'clock seating guests, and they're all still very excited to come. We've actually we told them, come at 745 to pre-purchase your bottles of wine and whatnot. And so they're still coming. So we right now, we feel like we're one of the kids, smartest kids on the block having pre-sold. So we're not losing all of our revenue for restaurants that didn't do this had they had the time to plan something like this they wouldn't have lost all the revenue that they're going to lose tonight because i can assure you restaurants that haven't pre-sold tickets they're going to lose out on people because people are going to make the decision to you know to, to not dine in and so the way that they have gone about this with that last second rule um it almost feels like they're intentionally trying to hurt restaurants I was listening to CKNW earlier today, and Sterling Fox was asking the question, should the government reimburse restaurants for some of the financial loss that they may incur tonight? Food wastage, cancelled reservations, and so forth. What do you think about that idea? I mean, I I see both sides. Um, There's the side of me as a restaurateur that says, absolutely. I mean, when they make these last-minute decisions rather than making a preemptive, well-planned decision, I think that falls on them. But as a taxpayer, we also know that in the end, it's not the government who's paying us out. It's the taxpayers who's paying us out. And so I, I do have a hard time with that. Um, but at the same time, if restaurants are trying, if this was the night that was going to help them reduce losses or keep the doors open, then absolutely, I think there should be a system to help compensate or help keep them afloat. 
I love that, you know, look, I'm paying for this one way or the other. So what does it matter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, we all are. We're all paying for this entire um, for this entire system and what's going on. And, uh, you know, I'm a fir- I'm, I have an 80 year old mother. She's been susceptible to pneumonia. I'm not anti-COVID. I don't believe it's a hoax. Um, I, I'm really becoming frustrated with the rules. And I think a lot of people, you know, people don't necessarily follow laws because they're afraid of the punishment. Uh, we know in our community there hasn't been a single COVID ticket. Um, but we, we follow rules because of empathy, because we care about our seniors. We care about what's going on. And I think that rules like this, poorly thought out, um, manipulative, last-minute rule changes like this, they're going to lose empathy of people and they're going to stop following the rules and what they've done tonight is not going to stop people from partying they are going to find somewhere else to drink they are going to now go to house parties instead of a nicely regulated restaurant and i think the fallout is going to be quite disappointing actually see that's what confuses me about this as well because when i first heard the news yesterday I thought initially that it just applied to liquor stores. And I thought, okay, well, they're trying to stop house parties from happening and they don't want people leaving a restaurant at 10 o'clock, going to the liquor store, picking up booze, and then going over to a friend's house. So, okay, well, I get that. But then when I heard it applied to restaurants as well, I was surprised because we've heard that the measures that have been in place for restaurants have been working. We've heard of few outbreaks at restaurants since those rules changed. Thus, restaurants seem to be a safer environment. So now it seems that if you cut off liquor sales early, you're encouraging people to not go to the safe environment, but instead find an alternative, an unsafe environment to say, heck, why don't we just go to the liquor store early tonight and then we can go over to Steve and Deborah's place or we can go to the house party down the street where all my friends and family and cousins are because we know that we can drink there as long as we want to. I agree wholeheartedly. I think there's a lot of downsides to the decisions that they've just made by doing this. Um, Yes, I think people are going to take an early exit from our restaurants rather than having a a safe and casual dining experience. They're going to go to house parties, as you say. And I also think there's the risk of people knowing that they cannot find alcohol or purchase alcohol after 8 o'clock are going to overstock. And we know that when people overstock, they overconsume. We also have issues with alcoholism and addiction. And if somebody can't, you know, just because they are told they cannot get alcohol at eight o'clock doesn't mean that an alcoholic is not going to find alcohol at eight o'clock and when an alcoholic or someone with addiction can't get access we know that they go through other means whether it be theft violence or otherwise and so i think we're gonna see an interesting new year's i don't think it's going to have the results that they're thinking that it's going to have am i the only one to whom it's occurred that there's a fairly strong likelihood that they announced it at the last minute for a very specific reason, people doing end-arounds and preparing and looking for alternative ways to deal with the situation. I think that's kind of why they didn't tell you in advance. Hey, I've heard that already said, but it doesn't hold a lot of water for me because in this day and age, people are sending out party invitations via text message. Nobody's sending out a party invitation in the mail anymore. It doesn't take a week to receive it anymore. If your New Year's plans at the restaurant that you were going to go to get upended, all you need to do is send an instant text message to your friend and say, well, I was going to go out for dinner tonight, but that's been ruined. So what are you guys up to instead? Maybe I'll pop over tonight. In this age of technology, party invitations happen in an instant. 
Let's continue now our conversation with Danielle Eaton. She owns a restaurant in Cranbrook called Kootenai Soul Food. Danielle, it's not just liquor store owners and restaurant owners who will be affected by liquor sales ending at 8 p.m. tonight. It's also the serving staff, isn't it, who will be told, don't come in for your shift anymore because we had a bunch of cancellations. So there goes their wages and there goes the tips that they were hoping to make. Without a doubt. Um, uh, That's probably been our biggest frustration. My restaurant is afloat. We're doing okay. I'm financially doing okay. But I've since Bonnie Henry's first announcement regarding families, not be, you know, only dining with families, no coworkers, that sort of thing, no friends. Um, we have seen business drop, and the result has been it's been layoffs. We've done everything not to do layoffs, but we've been cutting shifts. They're going to see that tonight, and it's going to be significant. And so, where financially things are tight for our staff, um, it's only going to get worse. And we're heading into the two worst restaurant months of the year. So that's that's probably the the biggest frustration that I have. I have a very good relationship with my staff. They're very invested in my business, and um, I I hate to see them struggle. And you know, I've so much as sent out to our guests tonight. You know letting them know if you can afford it, definitely please tip the servers. Like they're going to share it with the dishwashers, the bartender, the cooks. Like if you can afford it, please take into consideration that they're going to give their everything tonight. And so uh, I feel bad for people in the service industry. I don't think people realize how hard they work for so little and how much of it is tips. And I pay my staff very well, but you know, tips are still a large part of their income. Oh, I've worked as a server, so amen, sister. <laughs> I understand that completely. <laughs> yes. Danielle, thank yeah. you so much and best wishes for tonight. Happy New Year's. Thank you so much. Happy New Year's to all your listeners. Well, 2020 is almost over, but that doesn't mean that the stress that you may have experienced during this past year or this past holiday season will suddenly just disappear, right? The holidays at the best of times can be really stressful for people. This year in particular, with social distancing creating an environment for increased loneliness, I know that it can be even more difficult to manage your emotions. We can't get together with friends and family like we previously could, and that can cause those feelings of loneliness. It can be unsettling. So we want to get some clarity on how to manage emotions at this time of year. And here to provide us with tips as to how to manage emotions during this time is Nirmala Renega, founder of Chopra Addiction and Wellness Center. Nirmala, so nice to speak to you. Good afternoon, Nikki. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year's to you and uh, to all of the listeners out there. Thank you. Now, I know that you have seven steps on how to successfully manage emotions, and I would like to get through uh, as many of those steps as we possibly can. What is number one? The number one is uh, take care of your body. Uh, I've been listening to um, just your show a little bit earlier. I know there's a lot of emotions running um, up for people, especially with all the, the changes that happened in the last 24 hours, and people are feeling quite anxious and stressed about all the changes. So this is where listen to your body and take care of your body. Uh, you know, restful sleep is always great and we have New Year's if people want to stay up and celebrate. Uh, and, and that's normal to do that. But this year with the pandemic and all the restriction, it's going to be different, right? So um, sleep is important, exercise, movement, um, all those things are really important 
for your body. And your body actually t- talks to you, tells you to take a break, to take a pause. Mm, so listen to your body when it says, I need a rest. That's right. Absolutely. And, and we don't like to do that, right? <laughs> no, of course. We want to push ourselves. We, we, we do that, right? That's what we do in this culture. Yes, we want to stay up and watch the movies. And, you know, some of the things like with this evening's disruption changes, maybe watch some comedy and laugh because this, uh, in, you know, this is at these times are beyond our control, people, places, situations. It's an event that is uh, beyond our control. So instead of bringing more stress to our body, maybe we need to go in the opposite direction to create some laughter, connect with uh, people via uh, social media, Zoom, and just, just laugh and giggle. And, you know, I'm planning to own my way into 2021 because it's beyond my control. (laughs) Now, I know number two on your list, it's an interesting one because it talks about minimizing your expectations of other people. Of course. I mean, we as people have expectations uh, from our family, friends, workers, our government, and um, and when and, and when our when our needs and expectations are not met, we get disappointed. And especially with with the current situation, is uh, trying to let go of expectations and and go with the flow. Things we can control and we can manage that's beyond our control is the best way. Um, you know, my advice to people is just to just let go. This year, we just need to let go. Mm-hmm. Number three yeah. on your list is healthy eating practices. And this is not easy at this time of year. Maybe a little bit easier this year because we haven't been having those same big gatherings and the big dinners we normally do around the holiday season, but still a challenge nonetheless. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when we have un- unhealthy emotions, the the feelings, the inside, in, intensity, anxiety, and especially people struggling um, this time of the year with addiction, you know, there's a lot of unhealthy eating habits. So, you know, for this evening, um, prepare something wholesome, nourishing, uh, unprocessed food. Try and see if that's a possibility. And uh, even if you're going to have some junk food, have some fruit, have some salad. Try and bring a little bit of balance. And, and you know, with people who are wanting to consume alcohol, maybe drink a little less this year. Because alcohol also has a lot of sugar, right? We forget that. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe some festive cocktails uh, which are non-alcoholic, right? That's a way, especially for those people who are struggling with alcohol addiction, right? Mm-hmm. We just need to be. We need to be mindful. It's not all about people who need to go out and drink. What about those people who are in recovery? They also need our support, right? How can we support them? Well, and this can be a particularly difficult time of year for people who are in recovery when there is so much pressure to be social and to have a drink. You know, this year, maybe it's, hey, let's meet up over Zoom or let's do a FaceTime call and have a drink together. But there's still that pressure nonetheless. Yes, yes. And and it's just balancing that pressure, right? Being able to say no and feeling okay with that. No. Number four on your list is to have a time out. What do you mean by that? Well, what happens is um, just, for example, this evening, if you don't want to be going on that Zoom with the family or, uh, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of family meeting on Zoom and there's somebody there that you're feeling uncomfortable with and you don't want to be part of that, 
um, just take a time out and just uh, be able to say that I won't be able to join. And we often give into pleasing people because we want to make them happy, right? And so, you know, if there's a situation, even on the Zoom or in that um, conference or uh, FaceTime, whatever is happening, walk away from negative situations for a while. So if you need to take a time out, take a time out and come back because you can reset your brain, right, by taking a pause. Mm, And this year it's easier than ever because in years previous to not show up at a party, that can be a lot of pressure. But this year you can just say, oh, sorry, it looks like my Wi-Fi is not working. I can't join the Zoom call. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have have excuses we can make, but I, I think we need to be honest to ourselves and listen to our body. And people need to respect our feelings uh, as well. And we need to do the same and respect other people's feelings. And this is about this responsibility and compromising and negotiations. These are the words we need to kind of become comfortable with, right? Mm -hmm. And, And this COVID has taught us a lot this year. We're speaking to Nirmala Renega, and we're running down the seven steps to successfully managing emotions, which are particularly important around this time of year. Number five on your list is to seek support. Well, during uh, this time of the year, we know Nikki people tend to also isolate. They, um, even with the challenging, uh, with the pandemic and also those, especially during the holiday season, they have triggers, they have memories, they didn't have some, a good experience or they, they need to be connecting that pressure. What do we need to do so that we don't go further than in our depression or anxiety is to seek support surround yourself with positive influence and uh, you know if you need to get in touch with um, and uh, this is where we usually say people earlier in, in in the week is to connect with your therapist and have a plan if you are having a tough time is there um, someone you can call for support or a sponsor or going into um, a community meeting that is really focusing on people who uh, need that additional support, uh, perhaps a follow-up session uh, in the next few days to review, to go over your feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for those who um, are doing okay, do reach out to those who may be struggling and suffering and provide them that love and compassion and kindness at this time of the year. A good reminder. Number six is to find a healthy balance, which I think that we've we've really discussed throughout this conversation. Like you said, you know, if yes. you're going to be eating some unhealthy food, make sure you eat some healthy food as well. And number seven on the list is to practice gratitude. Yes, uh, gratitude is number uh, is a big one for us. I mean, we forget when we, you know, we sometimes we are so microcosm that we are just looking at our own story. Look at the bigger global picture. Look at how many, you know, these people, um, thousands and thousands of people have died, right? And when we think about that, look at all those, um, the doctors, nurses, the grocery people, people who have showed up to work, be there to support them. And there may be somebody in your family, your friend who has showed up this past year on a level to support you when you were struggling, as a family or um, when you're trying to support someone else, even pets. I think pets actually are wonderful. Um, I know that more and more people have been trying to get dogs into the house because of this all this isolation, right? 
So, you know, appreciate those little gifts in our lives. Sometimes we forget. Mm, I have an elderly dog. So, you know, I, I find myself every day, I look at her and I go, oh, you know, I'm so grateful that you're still here because I know that she's getting older and she's just the sweetest thing in the world. So daily, my pet reminds me to practice gratitude. Nirmala, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you, Nikki. And again, uh, wishing uh, safe, happy new year to all.